0: I first started reading uh, the Rich Dad books, uh, and uh, that led me to looking at different uh, motivational speakers. And I stumbled on uh, Jason's podcast about seven years ago, and then uh, from then I was hooked. And after listening to him, and I really got a sold on his philosophy on on how he uh, looks at the market and, and real estate in general. And I wanted to jump in seven years ago, but I decided to open up a, a few businesses that uh, they went pretty well. But you know, I live in New York, so there's a lot of expenses over there. So those went. Not as uh, according to plan, so now I I save my money up again and, and, and I'm here. Welcome to episode 1148, 1148. This is Jason Hartman. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have a guest coming up, but first we've got my friend Manny Vea. He is the host of the 2000 Books podcast and YouTube channel. He is a voracious reader, as am I. Nowadays, I think I'm more of a listener than a reader, but I used to be a better reader. You know what they say, all the readers are leaders, and what I say all the earners are learners. So lifelong education is where it's at. Manny, welcome. How you doing?
1: Good, man. Thanks for having me. I love books. I used to be an engineer. I gave that all up to get into this side of uh, life.
0: To be a bookworm. Well, I got to nice. tell our listeners the very funny story of how we met. Okay, <laughs> so you can chime in on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll tee it up. Mm-hmm. So last year, we were both at a conference in San Diego, and you live in San Diego. We were at Andrew Warner's. He was holding a, a little small private whiskey party, I think it was, in his uh, hotel suite uh, there in San Diego at, I believe, the Marriott or the uh the Hyatt. We were both at the party and we were just talking, grabbing, you know, some hors d'oeuvres and I said, you know, what do you do? And and he said, "Oh, I host a podcast." And, and I pulled out my phone and I was literally listening to your podcast on the way to that little party <laughs> <laughs> and and I, and I showed you that your podcast was right on my uh, screen of my phone. So that was a very
1: very That's fun. right. But there was more to it, Jason. Uh, what Actually, else what there? happened was initially when I asked you and you said, oh, I have this real estate show. And I'm like, which real estate show? And you're like, at that point, I didn't really know your full name. So I only know your name, Jason. Mm -hmm. And uh, you told me, oh, it's uh, the Jason Hartman real estate. I'm like, no way. Dude, I used to literally, I remember getting started on your podcast um, (laughs) as in getting started on thinking about investing in real estate from your podcast. So Mm -hmm. that was like, What? No way. That's you. And I like I couldn't make the connection between the podcast pictures and you at the time. But as soon as you said that, I'm like, dude, I'm such a fan of you. And then you started (laughs) asking me, oh, okay, so what do you do? (laughs) And then when you started asking and we found out that I have the book summary podcast, you're like, what's the name? it's 2000 books you're like no way man i'm listening to this so it was like it was like <laughs> uh, you know we're mutual mutual fans so it, mutual admiration it, it here. was
0: it was like what a coincidence the biggest coincidence was that i was literally listening to your podcast on the way to that party uh, and, and now andrew warner is a host of the G podcast and so uh, he had a little a little party and uh and so that was great that was just so I mean, yeah. what are the chances, I right? I was
1: taking a picture with you listening or with your podcast on the phone. So we still, <laughs> I still have that picture. You got to send that to me. That's just <laughs> yeah, such I a will. funny
0: picture. Yeah, that, that's great. I love learning. I love reading. I used to own about 4,000 books. I actually, I didn't count them exactly, but I. I sort of counted what's on one shelf and multiplied, and um, you know, and I I started getting rid of them over the years. And I I used to say, you know, if you're not going to give me an electronic book format or if your book isn't available in electronic form, I'm I'm not going to buy it and I'll never read it because I just can't handle moving any more books, (laughs) you know, and packing them and unpacking them again. But books are incredible. Obviously, they they change lives. Your podcast is really handy because it allows people to compress time and, uh, do more. So when we were talking, I asked you if you would come and speak at our upcoming meet the masters event. And you said, yes. Yay. And, and so you will be speaking at our upcoming meet the masters and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Now you kind of curated some of your, your book summaries for our attendees, right?
1: Yeah. So as you know, like I've been, I've been reading a ton. I mean, I've read a ton, you've read a ton jason so it's so much fun we're going to get the opportunity to talk about some of the best some of the greatest books ever written on becoming successful in life and a lot of people who are ambitious people who are driven they always gravitate towards books like that but in my reading of over 1500 books at this time and you've read over 4000 books or even more than well, that no 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 there's... i didn't
0: i didn't say i actually read the 4000 books i said i owned them <laughs>
1: Okay, well, you've probably read a whole lot.
0: Just owning them, doesn't that make you smarter? No, it doesn't actually, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) it probably does. But I have read a lot, definitely. Yeah, 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 you have. So what we're going to do on that talk is curate, like talk to the listeners maybe about top five greatest books of all time when it comes to how to become more successful in life, how to take your success to the next level. It's really for the ambitious people.
0: Can't wait for this presentation. I'm super excited about it because we're going to curate, well, you really, but I'll help you, some of the classic books but also a couple of modern books, kind of compare and contrast their philosophies and, you know, maybe talk about where these philosophies overlap. I know you picked two classics to talk to our listeners about. And I read both of these when I was 17 years old. And they changed my life. They just totally changed my life. Can't wait to dive in and talk about that. But Manny, you're also going to talk about how to read books more effectively, right? Right. Yeah, tell us about that.
1: So the two questions I get all the time, so remember, I used to be an engineer. I actually left my engineering career to start this business over three and a half years ago. And every time I talk to people about what I do, which is I'm a professional book reader, I read, I learn Mm -hmm. from books, and I summarize those books for the audience. The two questions I get are, what are the greatest books that I should read? And the second question is, how do you read so much? Mm Because I read seven books a week. So I I literally like either, either I'm reading that or listening to that or I'm consuming it in some format, either physical, Kindle or Audible. So people always ask me, how do you? actually condense all that knowledge in your brain. How do you learn fast from these books? Because it's Mm -hmm. one thing to speed read. It's another thing to actually learn from that. And that's something I'm really excited to share with your audience as to how to read a book for maximum learning.
0: I cannot wait to hear that part of your presentation because, you know, I've taken speed reading classes and it just never took. I, I just can't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not, I I just don't have the knack for it or something, but uh, that is a great skill in the information age when we've got so much coming at us and everybody, I'm sure everybody listening just feels like they're drowning, right? You know, you just can't keep up. You want to keep up. You want to learn everything. I don't know, at least for me, it's I think it's kind of a compulsion. It's like an OCD almost. I just want to learn everything. I'm so curious. Uh, You and I uh, are
1: the same. uh, We're kindred spirits here. Yeah.
0: yeah. But, but, But that's not all good, right? You know, you can always feel you you, at least I'll speak for myself you know I always feel like I'm behind like I'm overwhelmed I I sort of beat myself up about it so it's not all good it's good to be curious for sure but maybe it goes overboard maybe there's a book for that
1: (laughs) right well yeah I mean there's the difference between like reading a lot but then also reading but learning Mm-hmm. from them and that's that's the distinction we're going to try to yeah. address there as in how to learn the most from the book how to absorb the most from the book, even with the same amount of time mm-hmm. that you put into it like yeah. even if you put in the same amount of hours how can you get the most out of it
0: give us a couple of hints about that i know you know we don't have the time here because we've got to get to our guest sure. but just give us a few tips if you would
1: so a couple of hints first of all like i can help someone compress a book in half the time just by using the power of audio. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to audio, there are hacks there to literally do it much faster. And not only do it much faster, almost when you do it faster, you force your brain to focus, which actually allows you to learn better and faster. So that's a really simple hack we're going to talk about
0: good so so really forcing yourself to do it more quickly right
1: yeah that allows your brain to focus I mean we have too much brain capacity and if, mm. if we're doing things slowly the brains gets st- scattered but if things are coming at it fast then the brain is forced to focus and that's the that's the fun part that's when you can double triple quadruple your rate of learning
0: do you listen to audiobooks and podcasts at higher speeds
1: yep yeah. And, and
0: what what level of speed do you listen? Because I can't really go above about one point five to one point seven five. It's just too fast. It's so unpleasant yeah. to listen to. But I have a friend who claims to listen at three times speed, and yeah. that's just crazy. That I don't know. That doesn't. I mean, I don't I, know. I, do you do that? Is that effective?
1: Yeah, I go all the way anywhere from two to three x. I remember complaining to an audio app back in the day because they only limited it to, to 2x and I was like come on guys really let me listen at 3x
0: that's so funny because you seem <laughs> you seem so calm and mellow in person
1: <laughs> and I, I I like to think I'm calm and mellow but when it comes to the book like so one of the things people ask me is hey is it cheating if I'm listening to a book mm-hmm. and uh, to me that's a very weird question because every book I listen to or read or read physically or read in a digital format every book i'm consuming with the intent of learning from it so when it's an audiobook even if it's going at 3x as soon as i find something interesting as soon as i find something that's really useful i'm going to pause i'm going to take notes Or I'm going to bookmark it so that my employee can now go and pick up all those bookmarks and collect all those notes again for me. So I'm not the one who says, okay, just listen at 3X and forget about it. No, no, no. It's all about what you do while you're listening at 3X. How do you process that? That's also really crucial.
0: I think you, you know, listening with intent. In other words, as you're listening, have your mind trying to say, well, you know, what does that mean? How are they, what are they going to say next about that? You know, what does that lead to sort of active listening, if you will, and also combining it in a multimedia format. So taking notes, referring to the visual product whether it be an electronic version or a printed version combining those mediums and, and you seem like you've done that very well because i, I love your book summaries Thank here's you. an example folks this is an audiobook i'm listening to right now about stories and how to write them and so forth because that's something i want to improve on and uh here's a 3x speed this is manny See,
2: writing is stresses me out. can to identifying the underlying story you're trying to tell
0: so whether it's your first draft or your 15th relax instead
1: of thinking each you can't do that yeah, yeah I, but the good thing is the stress is a good stress it's you stress
0: oh really okay not yeah i know about you stress versus regular
1: stress yeah but
0: it doesn't like it, it it's too it forces
1: you to focus and yeah. that changes everything because the more you force your brain to focus and um don't let it dwindle away or don't let it wander away the more it forces you to create those connections and kind of encapsulate these ideas properly and think of them. But I think it's a gradual process. I don't recommend people go from 1x to 3x overnight. Mm-hmm. Maybe you go from 1 to 1.25. You, 2. you 5, graduate, 1. yeah. yeah. yeah to <laughs> 2.5. 2. But over time, it becomes really normal. And what happens is your brain starts anticipating what's coming. Mm-hmm. And even at 3x, it doesn't feel that awkward anymore because you already can see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're forced to see the bigger picture picture when it's coming at 3x mm-hmm. because the sentence by itself if I just turn it on if I, I've had this happen before where my car would automatically start playing the audio as soon as I jump in the car and I start the car and someone who's just started who just uh, sat with me in the car they're like what are you listening to I don't even understand a single word of mm-hmm. it yeah the reason for you that can train is yourself because yeah Like everything is understood in my mind because I have the bigger picture perspective now of what is being talked about.
0: Very interesting. That's what the speed reading uh, instructors will tell you. They'll say, stop reading words, start reading ideas, you know, Mm and so so good stuff. Well, Manny, I'm really looking forward to your presentation. That'll be at our upcoming Meet the Masters event. Uh, We are less than two weeks away. So we'll look forward to seeing you there. And uh, we have got to get to our guest. If you want to get a last minute ticket, we have not sold out yet. We got a few more tickets left jasonhartman.com slash masters. And Manny, I'll see you in less than
1: two weeks. Awesome, man. Looking forward to seeing you and everyone else there. Join us March 23rd and 24th for the 2019 Meet the Masters of Income Property.
0: Let's break this down and look at some of the strengths of income property as an asset class.
2: I found that this event is really helpful because I'm totally a newbie to real estate investment. And so I picked up so much information.
0: One of the great things about it is that it's so fragmented, right? Embrace the fragmentation. Uh, I've actually been learning a lot about the tax benefits to uh, real estate and a lot of, I've been in- investing actually well over 10 years now and I learned a lot of new things today.
2: The other advantage of this weekend is networking. Meeting new property managers, meeting new area specialists, and and seeing the product they have to offer, that changes year by year. Register now at
0: jasonhartman.com slash masters. It's my pleasure to welcome Jason Franciosa to the show. I had the pleasure of uh, having dinner with him and some other friends a few weeks ago at the Capitalism Conference in Dallas, Texas. I was a speaker at that conference after uh, Jason uh, saw my talk. He uh, was uh, bringing up some of the issues of monetary policy, inflation, and uh, things like that. I just love this topic. (laughs) It is my absolute passion. He is a former military officer his business partners are all veterans as as is he and he's very passionate about helping veterans achieve financial independence he has an Amazon business where they sell CrossFit gear as well. It's just a pleasure to have them on the show. Jason, welcome. How are
2: you? Doing well. Thanks, Jason. Thank yeah. you for having me on the show. Hey,
0: I hope people can keep track because we have two Jasons here. <laughs>
2: <So> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it,
0: it's almost as confusing as um, the way the Treasury, the government, and the Federal Reserve operate.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can never follow along.
0: <laughs> absolutely. So we hope you can follow along. What got you interested in um, the things... Behind monetary policy and how it affects investments and the time value of money
2: to be honest is just fascinating I mean it is amazing how everything correlates with each other and how most people don't even understand the fundamentals you know they think oh if I just had a bunch of cash in my bank account I'd be wealthy well yeah maybe today you'll be wealthy but you know in the very near future that money could be literally worth next to nothing so just seeing how everything correlates and then how the government actually works and, you know, how they can kind of essentially tax you without ever actually increasing taxes.
0: Right, right. It's it's the insidious hidden tax, the inflation tax. Absolutely. Very good point. So inflation is the insidious hidden tax, and it is kind of crazy that our government taxes us twice. Well, you know fundamentally, they tax us twice, but in reality, they tax us way more than twice. <laughs> but that's kind of another discussion. The discussion here just about the inflation tax is very interesting. Inflation is thought of mostly as a monetary phenomenon uh and Milton Friedman was one of the big people that promulgated that idea that you know when you create more money, obviously you know, the value of anything is pretty much based on its rarity. So something that isn't rare has less value than something that is rare. If you print more, and I shouldn't even say money, I should say currency, because that's really what it is. If you print more currency, then the value of all currency in existence goes down because it is simply less rare, right? We all know that diamonds, Are much more rare than sand on the beach there's lots of sand it's very cheap diamonds there's not that many of them so they're very expensive and the same applies to currency why wouldn't it right it's the same supply and demand laws that apply to everything so uh, jason what is your view of the future do you think the future will be inflationary or uh or not
2: Absolutely. I see almost impossible where it's not inflationary, simply because the massive amount of debt the government is continuing to amass. And they really only have two options. One is raise taxes, which even if you're on the left or the right, is typically not very well looked upon with voters. So that de-incentivizes voters to give you a vote. And very few politicians are actually incentivized to increase taxes substantially especially on the the middle class and the working class, uh, where the majority of their votes are coming from. So if they can't raise taxes, they have to print money. And the only way to pay off the debt is to print money so you get inflation. And I really don't see any other solution out of this in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree with you. Really, there are a few more options than just raising taxes or inflating away the government's obligations. But what I really like about my own investing strategy, uh, frankly, I'll just say I like my own strategy the best, is that it aligns the investor's interest with these very powerful forces. I mean, look, we can complain about it as much as we want but we're not going to change it right (laughs) so absolutely so this is the business plan for governments and central banks every country does it every country has done it for eons it's just going to continue it is very likely that it will happen because it's a great deal you know they can just inflate their way out of the debt but the six ways I came up with of, you know, how the government could solve their problems, right? We all know the government is essentially insolvent. So it can either default on its obligations and stop paying them, you know, not pay Social Security, not pay Medicare, not pay for all the entitlement programs, uh, not pay its debt that it owes to foreign countries. This is totally unpalatable, right? It's never going to happen because there would be, you know, riots in the streets, It could raise taxes like you talked about, but really, you know, I've seen the math on this and Jason, it's mind boggling. The problem is so large at this point that you literally couldn't raise taxes enough to pay for it. And of course, you know, it's been proven over and over that raising taxes simply decreases economic activity. So you ultimately, you kill the golden goose, right? (laughs) So raising taxes is definitely not a solution. I mean, the the folks on the left would say it is, but there's just not enough taxes to get to solve the problem. So that's not going to happen. We could sell off assets, right? The country has assets. It could sell, you know, it could sell the ports to Dubai, like that came up in the news years ago, right? And uh, we all remember the debate, you know, sell military equipment to, foreign countries and, and so forth. We could steal, right? We could use our military to take property from other countries. Uh, so those are all pretty negative, don't you think?
2: Absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah. If we still and,
2: reserve to those things, we have a serious problem.
0: Yeah, right, absolutely, absolutely. On the On the positive side, there is one very positive thing that could happen, is just technological innovation that would grow the economy, that would grow us out of the mess, right? You know, I guess that's possible. It's kind of hard to fathom that innovation that would cause that growth would have to be America-centric. It would have to happen here for you know, if we're just talking viewing it from a US perspective. And it would have to be pretty incredible, right? It would have to be some major discovery because the problem is so big that, you know, I don't know, it would have to be some major discovery that we could export to the rest of the world. And, you know, would just sort of solve everybody's problems. But the most likely thing, as you say, is just inflate our way out. And so that begs the question of the discussion of the time value of money. So talk to us a little bit about the time value of money.
2: Absolutely. So the time value of money works in basically two sides. One is the money you have today is gonna be worth less in the future because of inflation. And the second side is if you have money now and you invest it above the rate of inflation, then that money invested today can be worth more in the future in terms of um, actual dollar amount. So when you look at those two sides of it, it really makes real estate an incredible opportunity.
0: Yeah, you've gotta beat inflation. You must beat inflation and taxes. Frankly, you gotta beat them both. You gotta beat both types of taxes. So the easy example is to just look at a bank account. And if the bank account pays, you know, say you've got a a long-term CD, right, that pays you a a whopping 2%. If inflation is 2% and the CD is paying 2%, you're even with inflation. But the problem is now you got taxes. And so taxes will probably take away about 40% of that. So now you're just over 1%. You're losing money. You know, you're just getting beat up. Uh, by saving money, so that's not very fair, is it? Right, you're losing
2: value. What you have today, you cannot trade for the same amount of goods as you could have in the past. Right,
0: yeah. Okay, so how do you see, I mean, look, you've listened to like one episode of my podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you're not indoctrinated with my thinking. It's great because, you know, you're not prejudiced. Uh, you haven't been influenced uh, by my thinking at all. How do you see this playing out and why do you like income property uh, to solve this problem?
2: Well, as we already discussed, we see inflation continue to grow. So you can use it into your interior advantage with real estate and, of course, other types of leveraged assets, uh, not just real estate. But I do know your show is more focused on the real estate side. Right. So first, by having cash flow, I think that's the most critical aspect of, of this equation. If you don't own an asset that cash flows, you're playing the speculation game, and, and that's a very hard game to win.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, folks, you know, he, he intuitively is referring right there to commandment number five, thou shalt not gamble. <laughs> so good, I love it. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, that's true across all types of assets, whether it's real estate or business investing or, or even equities. If you don't have cash flow, you're speculating. The really nice part about real estate though is because there's so many incentives in government backing for the banks to give you these incredible loans. I mean, very low interest rates. I think they've actually recently started to creep back down again. And a large sum of money, as long as you can show the the debt to income ratios up front. So this allows you to take the money, invest it into an asset that's cash flowing at above the interest rate and the inflation rate, so you're net positive, and the value of the loan that you take is going to be worth less by the time you actually pay it off, plus those monthly payments are going to be worth less by the time you actually pay it off as well. Yeah.
0: When and where did you learn this? where did you come up with this idea? It wasn't from me.
2: <laughs> no, it was not. I've been interested in investing for a very long time. I started investing back when I was in high school many years ago. And then um, our mutual friend, Ryan, Daniel Moran.
0: Right, right. Well, well, not that many years ago. I mean, you're a young guy.
2: <laughs> I don't know if you want to <laughs> say your age. You, you will feel oh, free you know, if you want. Oh, 15 years ago still. Yeah, yeah okay, <laughs> all
0: right. And then Ryan Moran, our mutual friend, yeah?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, Ryan talks a lot about this stuff. Uh, and then just being involved in, in seeing the effects of not, understand these things so i've when i first got into investing i used to play the speculation game you know i used to think oh, if you just buy apple today or whatever stock today and hopefully it'll go up and you know sometimes it worked out great and then sometimes i lost quite a bit of money mm-hmm. and it's like okay well i'm losing money and i can't hold throughout this because there's no cash flow and then i'm also realizing that with inflation the value of my asset is going down not only did i lose money because i speculated incorrectly the value of the money that i lost is also down as well mm-hmm. um so it's just like a double hit and all of a sudden light bulbs go off and it's like, okay, well, I need an asset that is going to cash flow so I can hold through any dips in the asset value. And I need something that I can leverage inflation to my favor. So by borrowing against or using leverage, whether it's in business, I do some my business as well. We take loans to fund essentially investments. Uh, purchasing inventory is a, an investment for my company because I know that I'm going to be able to sell it and get a higher return on that investment. Right In a business, you're talking two, three hundred percent versus more passive incomes. Mm-hmm. But still, um, understand the power of that leverage and in, in allowing you to allocate resources, someone else's resources for your personal benefit.
0: Sure, sure. See, the thing about leverage is that you've got to have a way to maintain the leverage. And leverage is great, but not by itself, right? Leverage will kill you. If it, it's not offset with income to service the debt of that leverage, and that's the beauty of income property, you know, you can basically outsource the obligation for that debt to someone called a tenant. We're into outsourcing over here. <laughs> that's, it, outsourcing is a wonderful thing, especially when you can outsource debt. That's a great deal. It makes it all sustainable. I call it sustainable investing because it allows you to stay in the game. You know, we recommend investing in these linear markets that are nice and smooth markets. You know, they have minor ups and downs, not significant ones. You can really stay in the game nicely with those markets because they have very good cash flow. But even if you don't listen to my advice, and if you invest in the cyclical markets with bad cash flow, with big, ugly, you know, big glorious highs and big and terrible, ugly lows in the market cycle in in terms of price, if you can manage to stay in the game, real estate is a game of staying power. You're going to win. <laughs> the the problem is in those markets with those big cycles, the cyclical markets that I don't recommend, most people can't afford to stay in the game. It's just too difficult because you'll be forced out. The cash flow is so bad, it'll just force you out of the market. That's really one of the key elements, isn't it? Is is just staying power, right? The ability to stay in the game.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Cuz when you average it out over time, almost all assets typically go up over time any major asset class mm-hmm. the other thing of course that you started hitting on as well is is risk versus reward so some people are more risk advantageous yeah and others you know are are less risk risk, yeah they,
0: yeah they, they might be risk averse or willing to take big risk and usually that's dictated by age and you know the level of of wealth that someone has so yeah so what about that? What were you gonna say about it though?
2: So I think that comes into a big play with real estate as well because real estate is gonna be predictable and it's gonna be much lower risk as long as you are investing in those more stable markets. Mm-hmm. If you're investing in the in the high risk markets and of course you're taking on a higher risk but you're looking for those higher reward numbers. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of real estate is it's a limited quantity. The US can't, well, like technically we could take over new countries but within the current confines of our current country there's only a certain amount of land and a certain amount of areas and a certain amount of real estate available to either purchase rent or or build on. Uh, and because of that, you're reducing a lot of your risk with all these other advantages, plus the cash flow, plus uh, using the banks for your leverage. So it's it's really incredible.
0: Absolutely. Very good. Very good. Okay. So here's something I want to wrap up with is this concept. And uh, it actually has a name now. I was doing it many years ago when I was 20. I started, I guess I started doing it when I was 21 or 22 years old. I bought my first rental property at 20. I did not do this technique then. That was a traditional rental property purchase, okay, but the term, it actually has a term nowadays, it's called house hacking, house hacking, and if you haven't heard that term, let me just explain to our listeners what it means, because I know you've got some plans with that, Jason, so we'll, we'll share your ideas with our listeners. Here's what house hacking is. It's really a concept designed for someone who lives in a good, solid, linear real estate market already. And who's just getting started, who doesn't have much money to invest with, right? This can be the perfect fit for that person. And basically what it is, is it just means you use an owner-occupied loan to get into the house and you live in it for a year or two. And, you know, that's okay because as long as you intend to live there and you really do move in, you're okay, And the owner-occupied loans are much more desirable. And so what you do is you basically do a plan over several years. And this gets you started. You get a very low down payment loan. If you're a veteran, Jason, like you are, you get a VA loan. And this can be a very attractive opportunity. And you can also get this on a plex, right? It could be a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, anything up to four units. And you live in one of the units, and you've still got that very, very desirable loan. Talk to us about that if you
2: would. Absolutely, it's an incredible opportunity, especially for veterans or active duty military. Um, one stipulation that I don't think gets talked about enough as well is if you're on active duty orders and you get ordered somewhere else, you don't have to maintain that full year in, in the home to keep the VA loan.
0: Right. Same with leases. And that I, I'll give you just a, go on a little tangent. We love military tenants. There's only one downside to them is that if they get orders to deploy, they can break their lease. <laughs> so same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So, so you can move. So what, what does that mean though? Like what would that mean to an active duty person?
2: So the real advantage is not having to put that down payment down because right. that's more cash that you can invest in other areas and a, a larger leverage. Now, the risk here is if you do have a market dip and you do have to sell for some reason, you don't have any equity going into the home initially. So that is the increased risk on this type of uh, strategy. Mm-hmm. But if you're playing for the long term, like you should be, and you're purchasing in order to either rent it out immediately or, or eventually, and when I say immediately, I'm talking about a duplex, triplex, or quadplex, because you could rent two to three of those other units and live in one of them. Then this becomes extremely advantageous because you have no initial personal investment. So you're basically getting a free cash-flowing real estate asset. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's an incredible deal for people who can take advantage of it.
0: It is an incredible deal. Just make sure, folks, you must move in to the property and you must live there.
2: OK, you must
0: actually yes. do that. OK, so this is really a good strategy for a person getting started. You're doing it with the mind of an investor, but you got to actually move in and you know follow the rules that are required by owner-occupied loans. You can get that advantageous loan live there for a couple of years and then buy another property and live there for a couple of years and house hack again. You probably won't need to because by then you'll probably have some money, (laughs) but it's a great tool for someone just starting out. Isn't this awesome?
2: Yeah. And I think you can always be used because you have to live somewhere no matter what. Mm -hmm. So maybe you continue to buy another income property, but your next house that you're going to live in, you can now use the VA loan again, or you can refinance the previous loan that you had back to a traditional loan since you already have equity built in now do a new VA loan. So you're not putting any of your own money up front on the house you actually want to live in. And then instead of having that money wasted on the home you want to live in, you can use that to purchase another income property for your 20% or 10% down payment. Yeah. So it's advantageous, not even if it's not just your first home purchase.
0: Good, good stuff. That's really good. Okay, great. Well, Jason, thank you for joining us today. It's just nice to get fresh insights from someone who, you know, is is thinking on the same track like we are, myself and, and my listeners. It's just really refreshing to hear this stuff. So glad you're on the right track. And I just want to wish you a great future and happy investing.
2: Thank you, Jason. Yeah, really my pleasure. Appreciate
0: it. Hey, one more thing. Do you want to give out a website for your business or anything like that? You're welcome to.
2: Uh, sure. If you want to check out if you're into fitness at all. So quite a few different types of fitness gear. Our website is element26.co.
0: element26.co, and uh, you can get the products on Amazon
2: as well, right? Yep, exactly.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it.